Well, what I'd like to do, Kevin, first is to set the space for this mm-hmm. discussion and our conversation. Because as a master shaman, the work I do is to is to hold a space and actually shape the geometry of the space through the use of ikaros. And the ikaro is the conversations that I have with the medicine spirits. Briga, briga, revelveia, pura, pura medicina. Yana, yana, papa, tu asito en mi, auto monta troncosita, punta y monta y cocochita, los itangi oloroso. Hey folks, thanks for checking out the Wait What If podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sullivan. That is what is called a traditional Icaros. I'm probably saying that wrong. Sung by Victoria Corella, who is a master shaman and author. And she joined me today to talk about shamanism because I don't know what the hell shamanism is. I've had some folks on that have talked about it in the past. Um, being a practitioner of Western medicine, it's always interesting to, to hear about the other things that people do out there. And I wouldn't give it any attention, you know, because I, I am, I'm very, very science-based. I'm very evidence-based. However, people seem to get results. People seem to take care of anxiety, take care of depression. There's a lot of good that people get through these different, uh, I guess, approaches to, to healing themselves. So I brought Miss Corella on and she explained that to us. As always, check out waitwhatif.com for my blog, for bios for past episodes for all the cool I actually have a store on there too if you're ever wondering about supplements that I talk about or exercise whatever just go to waitwhatif.com and um and check everything out okay and without further ado Miss Victoria Carella you're listening to the wait what if podcast <laughs> and so what I was doing right then was calling on the head medicine spirits, two of the main ones that I work with, and medicine shamanism, which is some shamanism that I practice, you work with medicine spirits, and a spirit is anything that you identify as separate from yourself. It's a separate structure, it has its own structure, its own being, its own life force, and as a medicine shaman, I work with these spirits, as these medicine spirits, and they help to bring about uh, this healing transformation of people that I work with. And it's it's important to med- to note that it's medicine spirits because there's all types of shamanism that's practiced. And medicine shamanism, again, deals with love, the source, one, unification, um, God, if you will, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't want to attach a, a religious label to it. it. Has nothing to do with more belief systems. Okay. And so, and when you, as a, the master shaman, when you're setting the space, when you're calling people into ceremony, it's important that you know you set the space as a neutral, non-judgmental, compassionate, love-filled space with medicine, and it provides the space for a person. Again, to go through dental healing and transformation. And it's the use, working with the medicine spirits, 
through the use of ikaros, where they they will help to bring this transformation about. And in that song, I was call, calling forth Papa Tua, had spirit of ayahuasca, okay. a traditional mm-hmm. plant medicine that's used in the Amazon. Right. And Reina Maria, which is a head spirit of cannabis, which is what I practice now. One thing that uh, amazes me about psychedelics is their ability to induce life-changing events. They inspire folks as if they had spoken with God. And the weird thing about it is, let's take ayahuasca for example. If you were to do an ayahuasca ceremony, say down in Peru or up in Vancouver, British Columbia, two separate people are going to have a near identical type of experiences. This feeling of a presence, a guiding presence. Uh, inspiration to take care of one's life, to to break outside of whatever funk you're in. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Victoria goes on to explain the use of psychedelic plants in shamanism. I would say that that is what's remarkable about shamanism. I'll go into that. But since we consider human beings as being human beings, there's always been a shaman, there's always been shamanism, there's been that person who has been the connection between the spirit world and the community and the healer for that community, and that there has always been the use of, of sacred teacher medicine plants, um, and that um, they have, these plants have created a bond with us and they allow us to go into um, altered states of consciousness where we can quickly go through transformations and healings and I would say that you know all um, indigenous cultures have their particular teacher medicine plant they work with you know there's ayahuasca in South America there's there's like mushrooms in Siberia there's peyote and Native American I myself use cannabis uh, cannabis Mm -hmm. that's what I solely use now and I bring up cannabis because to me that's important. It's it's another teacher medicine plant that has been misunderstood has and has been uh, greatly mis, um, misrespected, dis, disrespected in the Western culture because that it's been used for thousands and thousands of years in in the East as as a teacher medicine plant, and it's a powerful powerful medicine plant when you use it in ceremonial context. With the, with the respect that it is due. And it's, it's very powerful, and all these teacher medicines are powerful, and they're due respect for the very fact, if nothing else, that they give up their existence to, to commingle with humans to help them through this, this process. And in that very aspect, they deserve our respect, and they should be treated. And I would say if they're not, they sometimes people will get spanked for that. And... Um, and cannabis is truly a, a powerful, powerful medicine. And when it's used, again, in ceremony, it's it's very transformative and it's very gentle and it's it's very healing, but extremely powerful. And all these teacher medicine plants are extremely powerful and, and need to be approached, especially by the Westerner, because Westerners have the tendency just to, um, I don't know how um, to say it, to just disrespect <laughs> and to trivialize these plants, which are, which are powerful uh, helpers on this planet. Mm-hmm. And ayahuasca is a very, very, very powerful teacher medicine plant. And 
people need to be really do their research before they go to experience it. And, um, you know, you just have to be careful with the people you work with and that, and that you have the real, a really good, strong guide. And not just with ayahuasca, but with any teacher medicine plant, it's, um, I think, I think too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think too, people, people trivialize it. Uh, anything that's going to alter your consciousness, they, they tend to look at it recreationally rather than, um, uh, I guess in the spiritual nature. Uh, and that can be, that can be an issue. I, I can't see just from listening to people, I've never experienced ayahuasca, but listening to people's experiences on it, I, I can't see why anyone would <laughs> would try to do something like that for recreation. It's not enjoyable, but that doesn't. And, and I don't, I, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying, especially with ayahuasca, that it's done recreationally. It's more with cannabis that seems to be the one that, and even cocoa leaves. Cocoa leaves are uh, are powerful teacher medicine plant, but in the United States, we maintain that how we that kind of thing where we have a tendency just to make it into something again recreational and they have much to offer and um ayahuasca is um it's beautiful it's it's a again very powerful and the important thing with ayahuasca or with any teacher medicine plant it's the experience of the ceremony is important but the integration is is critical and even though you go through transformation and ceremony your uh, your ability to integrate what you've learned uh, really carries that transformation throughout. Uh, it can be you know months and years after the ceremony because without without really integrating, making it really part of you, it, you're not really getting the full benefit of it. That's where the learning and the, the real transformation comes from. So I think one of the biggest issues is. You know, this is Western culture, and uh, there is always going to be the need or the want, I should say, the desire for recreational use. Um, Victoria explains the recreational versus therapeutic use and explains that shamans act as a guide through trips people take into the spirit world. Because we're in our so much into our mind, it's... Um, it can be scary to just be able to release that mind and, and drop into your heart center because this is heart medicine. It's all about, and heart, again, being the center of where you are, when you are in complete balance, peace and harmony and serenity is when you are centered in your heart center. Mm-hmm. The people not get lost just in the visions and the visuals they see and rather to approach them as gateways to mm-hmm. go through and to connect with pure consciousness and that's to get beyond the story so that you don't get lost in the story and the, the movement of colors and and don't get fixated on that, but to, again, use those as gateways to move through to another level. Right. And, and, and then, again, that's where you will find the transformation really happening when you don't get distracted by too much by the visuals. There was a point where I finally decided to stop the visuals because they were too distracting. And I actually did that and rather moved through gateways directly into um, into consciousness and to do the work there. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's just, you know, uh, for people to be very wise in who they choose to go to when they do these ceremonies, again, because it's an extremely powerful, powerful tool. 
And the reason I like to use cannabis now, uh, where it's legal in the United States, is right. where I do my, my practice, is it's a much, it's just as powerful, but it's gentler. It doesn't have that physical, uh, that extreme physical purging side to it, mm-hmm. and but and it's it's just more gentle, and it's easier on people in ceremony. Um, they can be a little bit more relaxed. Ayahuasca can be, can be pretty, you know, intense. Uh, I had a friend once uh, say it's like ayahuasca is like sticking your finger in a nuclear power generator, <laughs> and, and cannabis is more. Uh, it's like maybe solar power might be a little more gentle. Right, right. Yeah. People can have some pretty harsh experiences with it. Uh, well, yeah. You know, it's it's the they go there, mm-hmm. and they say that okay. When you say your intent, it, the first thing I I uh, would tell people is um, to release all expectations and all preconceived ideas about what they should expect, and rather to leave themselves open for what the medicine will be doing. Mm-hmm. And when have an intent, you have to release that because the medicine spirits will work towards the fulfillment of that intent, but it may not be how you expect it should be. So that's why you have to leave yourself open because it may come in unexpected ways. Okay. And it, and it can be a little bit rough because, you know, there's all kinds of stuff to clear out. You know, we accumulate a lot of, a lot of stuff. Is there a level of maturity that comes with experiencing the good with the bad? Um, what I mean by that is younger folks, and this is just from my experiences in high school and college, typically use marijuana strictly recreational. There's no spiritual journey. But if you listen to folks like Joe Rogan, he smokes marijuana, but he almost embraces the negative aspect as these negative parts of the, the experience, say um, paranoia, tend to teach him more about himself. I will say that I first used cannabis when I was what a freshman in high school. I'm not sure what age that is, and and I I didn't mistreat it. So I get, I think it's also an individual thing. Okay. I can't speak. You can't speak in general. Sure. In sure. Generality. No, right. So, and um, the other thing I would say about uh, cannabis, when I do the ceremony, I I work with what I call the medicine world, mm-hmm. and what I do is. When I open that up, I bring people into it, and what that does is actually close off all these other gateways, such as to paranoia, anxiety, uh, fear, doubt, all those kind of gateways, those things that can come with uh, cannabis. Mm-hmm. And, and so the only gateway that is open that what will come in is medicine. So those things don't happen again that's when you use something in a ceremonial context it can be different than just using it in a general public use but again that's using it with uh, a shaman who's using who's again holding the space and and shifting the geometry of the space and sometimes that those gateways those actions can also be not with this person you mentioned because you you say how he has respect for it mm-hmm. is when people don't respect it this is the plant kind of hitting them on the side of the head and saying, you know, because you're not respecting the plant. Sure, sure. Okay, so our existence on Earth already is this astronomically profound thing. You know, we, we came from nothing but rock and dust and all of a sudden there's people here and we have cell phones and, and the internet. 
thinking along those lines, where did these psychoactive plants come from? Did they play a role in evolution? Because I would imagine they did because we have the receptors in our brain that activate when these substances are taken. Is this just coincidence or maybe it was planned? How can anyone really say? I mean, that's kind of a conjecture and, and a thought thing, but um, yeah. that humans didn't really become human until they started interacting with teacher plant medicines. They're here and they're generous enough, again, to work with us. Sure. And I think that's wonderful. And I think that's pretty amazing myself. And it's almost, it's like walking into a room and finding a key and then it fits into a lock. You know, it's, well, I guess it's, it's a bad example, but you know what I mean? It, to find that and to have them both fit together is, is pretty amazing, especially for evolution to have created that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's totally uh, awesome. I mean, again, because it has to work with our system that it connects. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that, you know, that, uh, that you have to use these to, to advance your consciousness. These, this is just a, a tool to use mm -hmm. that allows for changes, healing and transformation in lightning speed. Because when you're using the medicine, as I work with it, it's, it's quantum medicine. It's, it's, it's basically instantaneous mm -hmm. and, and it's, uh, it's photonic medicine. It's it's light medicine. It's love medicine, and and it's um, I think it's wonderful. So we're obviously going to bring up the point of why this is still illegal in like thirty states, and federally it's illegal everywhere. What do you think is the deal with the legality of a lot of these plants? The very fact that, that it's illegal is, is really strange. It, it really uh, is. It is, and it's, it became uh, criminalized, and it was, it was a very um, racist uh, approach to something. It was, it was anti-people um, south of the border. It was anti-black. It was hitting these communities of, of, that we're using. It was, it was just a, it was a racist approach to something. And mm -hmm. it's, it, and it's so many people have suffered extremely. And that's, what's even more absurd because it's become legalized now. And there's still people in prison that are suffering for, for this. It's the whole thing is uh, this country has some really, um, has things to work out in sure. all kinds, on all levels. And the approach to, to consciousness um, and people's rights to you know to heal and because it, it not only is it a, um, a a spiritual medicine it's physical also cannabis is and ayahuasca too there and all these teacher medicine plants that are also used for physical healing you sure. know it's traditional thing. and um, just because <laughs> um, so anyway not to get into the politics of it but it's it's really um, very strange. Sure. No, and, and the politics is important with it because, um, I mean, I can go down to the street or the, the ABC store here, that's our liquor store, and buy a fifth of vodka and drink myself to death, right? And that's mm -hmm. completely legal. You know, I, I, can, I can do that. Um, I don't know if there's ever been recorded deaths from marijuana, but I'm pretty sure the number isn't that large. Um, not, to mention, not to mention the fact that it's safe. And, mm -hmm. one, and one adult is telling another adult that they can't 
put this into their body yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, it doesn't hurt you. Um, it, it, and it has all these properties, not to mention the like CBD oil, there's healing properties, anti-inflammatory properties, cognitive properties. There's all these things that aren't even in the psychoactive area that they continue to, um, to say are, are, or regulate and tell people they can't take. Yeah. And I, and I think as time progresses that as the medical profession becomes more open as the uh, psychiatric profession becomes more open to these teacher medicine plants and they're working with them more. I know down in South America, there's several healing centers like that are working with, working with people with uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, Mm -hmm. uh, ID, depression, even um, being uh, strung out on on other drugs and and they're using these and they're exploring them more. And in the United States, there's more explorations with, again with cannabis and so perhaps it'll become more and more acceptable as time goes on so Victoria explains what a typical shaman experience details again when I set the space I ask them to release again all expectations and all preconceived ideas what their intent is once we open the ceremony I will guide them and through the ikaro on a journey, you know, into different states, semantic states of consciousness, so that they can connect to their true selves. And through this, they can go through the journey of healing and transformation. And so it's not like it's working with the medicine spirits and the head medicine spirits to take them on this journey. Again, having them focus on the ikaro that'll take them through these different states and this different healing where they're able to release that which no longer serves their highest self. And if people can't release something, then they have to realize that whatever that thing is they want to get rid of, it's still being of use to them in some form or manner. Because when they're ready to, when you're ready to release it, it'll be an easy release. So it's it's uh, this a ceremony that, that I conduct now can take, you know, two to three to four hours. And it'll go through, I can't say it, so this is exactly what it's going to be like for everyone. Mm-hmm. All I know is, it, is that it will take them through uh, this process. And it may only be a beginning, and that's when it comes to the integration. Is for the person, when the ceremony is done, we sit around and we talk and we discuss what happened. And, you know, if they have questions and what they're going through. And the most important thing is the integration process is to take this and to keep, just have it become really part of them. You know, I don't know if that explains it, but that's, and I've had feedback from people basically saying that, um, that it's been transformative and it's, and it's to bring them to a new state of awareness of themselves to really come in contact with, with themselves to get to be able to shed all these different layers that aren't us, that have been put on us by society from when, from time we're in the womb, we're being conditioned. Mm-hmm. You know, and when, when you're born and then you're, the first four years of your life, you're basically being conditioned so that by the time you enter school, you're this person. And when you go to school, this is what you're taught. This is you. And then it's for people to realize that, you know, that's useful because it, it brings us to a state where we can, function in society 
you know, that's what society is about, is mm-hmm. keeping this homogenous thing so we all become the good consumer and whatever we're supposed to be. And But for people to to realize that's a story and, to, and you can release it, that that's not you, that that isn't you, and that if you have fear and doubt, you know, those are emotions, but they're not you, they're not your true self. And to always, when people start getting nervous and freaking out it's just like quiet the mind you just stop you have to quiet the mind you drop the mind into the heart the heart center and you just breathe you take your time and breathe and you relax and you release and you get back to being centered and then you realize the story that's going on you don't get caught up in it we realize that we also have to function in society we have to go to work we have to do this and that but you don't get lost in that anymore. You're aware of that, mm-hmm. and you're aware of of yourself and and your centeredness, and that your your whole outlook and your whole reaction interactions with people will begin to change. That's one thing we told people when they did ayahuasca is that you have to realize that the people you leave back home, you know, back in the states or wherever you're from, wherever they come from, they came from all over the world is that those people aren't going through these changes. And so when you go back and all of a sudden you're just all excited and you just want to tell it, people are going, what are you talking about, you know? You know, they haven't gone through that. So you have to be compassionate and you have to be patient with people. And you may also realize that they're, and you may see that people start dropping off. Maybe friends don't aren't friends anymore because you're changing. You're just in a different place. But you will attract others to you that, that are we're, you know, in your state of consciousness, so it's not, it's going to be transformative, and transformative is your whole being. So a weird thing about, I guess, the tail end of my generation, Generation X, the millennials, and then my kids, who I don't even know what generation that is, is technology. Technology is becoming our new reality. Where does shamanism or what kind of role does shamanism play in this modern age of technology? Raising children in the age of social media entails so much more difficulties. I mean, you got to think of this uh, almost ingrained narcissism about taking pictures of every meal you take or what you look like for the day, or the competition between people. It was hard enough to go to school in the 90s when that stuff didn't exist. I can only imagine what it would be like going to school today or, or heck, in 10 years in the future. A well-rounded person doesn't all of a sudden become 16 and then fall apart because of social media. Oh, sure, right. There's, there's, there hasn't been a lot of backup there. And the responsibility is if you're going to have kids is you know to raise them with... Uh, with some, with some strength and um, knowingness of what's important, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, it's it's tough. It is tough, and it's just, again, I would say, especially in this society where where our culture seems to be totally the dollar bill mm-hmm. and consumerism. That um, and it gets it. I, it's tough being a parent. It's got to be the toughest job there is in the world. Yeah, it's a pretty big responsibility. I don't. Do you have children? No, I never, never married, never had children. It's, no. it's, it's a, it's a total trip. I mean, it's like uh, there's. Well, you t- have a being. You have 
a being, a yeah. whole universe, a unique being, and how precious is that? Yeah. You know, that it be able to live a life fully of, of joy and, um, and beauty, you know? What I, try to, what I try to instill in them, and, and I'm hoping it's working, is to a- appreciate so throughout life, we kind of get used to things. They, they stop being strange or stop being fascinating because we see them every day. But a uh, perfect example is mid-afternoon, you're out for a walk and you can see the moon. Uh, my daughter, she'd always point up in the sky, the moon, the moon. And it, you know, it, it dawned on me that, yeah, that's pretty far out. You know, We're sitting here on a rock in space and I can look up and see another rock hurtling through space with us up there. I mean, you see that every day, so you don't think about it. But when you actually go out there and look at it, and be like, yeah, I'm looking at a big chunk of rock flying through space. I mean, that's an amazing thing. So in a way, she's teaching me, and I have a son too, they're teaching me to reappreciate the stuff that we've just kind of, you know, it's, it's our planet. It's, what we're, it's our fish tank. This is, this is all we're used to. But when you look around, it's a pretty amazing place. I'd say it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the whole, it's, it's, uh, actually it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. Uh, life itself, um, where everything is, I mean, in perfect harmony, the universe moves perfectly as it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the planets go around the sun, the sun goes around the Milky Way galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy goes around you know, other galaxies in this infinite space of eternity. It's just all pretty amazing. Is there a mystery to shamanism anymore? And and what I mean by that is when you practice this for so long, do you almost get the essence that you haven't figured all out? Have you looked behind the curtain? It would really be hard to explain, uh, how I understand things. Mm-hmm. All I know is it's all right here, right now, mm-hmm. this moment. Anything in the past is a memory in your mind. Anything in the future is a thought that hasn't, isn't, isn't. The only thing it really is, is, is right here and right now. And that's where I work from. It's very, very Buddhist. Uh, I believe the, the Buddhists are, are also in the very, in the present. Um, so it, everybody really is. They just may forget about it because you can't be anywhere else. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. <laughs> it's just that's the way it is. You know, it's just. It's hard to it, it, it's hard to pull yourself out of it. I learned mindfulness um, actually when I I I, I was uh, spent three tours in Iraq. When I came back, I was talking with a the therapist, and he brought me into mindfulness. This this way of getting rid of anxiety and and things like that, and. Um, I, I found it very, very relaxing, and I found it a tool that, that has helped me uh, for the past 15 years. Uh, and for my <laughs> listeners, mindfulness is just the act of, of being, really. Um, how I learned how to do it was eating figs. Uh, he told me, I used to love figs. I still love them, I guess. I, I try not to eat that much sugar, but um, he said, take a, you know, he taught me how to do it. He said, sit, take a bite of the fig, and and everything from, from holding it in your hand to how it looks, to how it smells, to the way you feel your teeth biting into the skin, to the crackling of the seeds, to the taste of it, to the, and that's just, that's just one bite. And, and take that whole moment and turn it into, uh, I guess, stretch it out as long as you can. But you're not even doing that. You're just, because you're in the moment, time sort of does that on its own. 
Yeah, you're being totally present. And the mindfulness uh, practice is an extremely powerful practice. Mm -hmm. And it's being done more more and more. Um, I was just looking at, um, through my health insurance company, actually has a program where they have neuroscientists coming on talking about mindfulness and, and showing the therapy that they do. And it's, it's an extremely powerful, powerful tool, you know, for people to, to, to approach their everyday life and being able to enter situations, uh, to be able to be stress-free, to be able to be, again, connected to yourself. And uh, so, yeah, that's a very powerful tool. Sure. So I've heard a lot about sacred geometry, and Victoria brings this up a lot. So I asked her to try to explain what that means. Oh, sure. That's when I talk about shaping the geometry of the space. Okay, right. The geometry and the uh, of the space, the sacredness of the space, and shifting of that. Yeah. There. And tell me if I'm wrong about this, because I've 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 kind of dip my toes into it uh a lot of randall carson uh i think that's his name randall carlson um anyways he he seems to i don't quite grasp it i don't quite grasp it but what what it seems to be to me is the idea that we as as people can communicate beyond time with each other by utilizing these sacred numbers and these sacred ratios and these sacred meaning you can look at the the pyramid and find a lot of the same information that you could find in the Parthenon as you could find in something as old as Gobekli Tepe. There's a lot of similarities as if these older societies were tapped into something that we're kind of overlooking now. Yeah, they were tapped into source. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what, again, what culture is now is tapped into. And it's, um, you know, time time is, is a, a funny phenomenon also if you get into space-time and the fact that time by itself doesn't really exist. It's like if you take it here, now we're talking, and it's now, 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 and then our mind has a tendency to put all these nows together into a linear context so that we can relate to life and to function. But um, if you go into relativity and quantum theory, you know, what is anyway, but... It's all these gateways are again communications with um, with consciousness and the source and and sacred geometry all has to deal with that the gateways and the connection points mm-hmm. with that. Again, I, I work with medicine, so even the geometry I work with is is medicine geometry. People may do other things, but to me, there again there are gateways and points of communication between you know the consciousness. I've had several guests who have explained either in a near-death or in a trance-like state or, or whatever, uh, source. And, and I think they're referring to that as a godlike figure, but I don't know. Yeah, and it's, words are hard to use because they all come with loaded with, you know, people's preconceived ideas about what that means. So it's, it's like you use the word God and then people get hung up in the religion and right. that context. Mm-hmm. So you try to use, like, I just try to throw out a whole bunch of different words that that will take you away from a, the duality and into just into consciousness, into that state of being, of being. Mm-hmm. And 
the words we use are interesting. Mm-hmm. The word try, it's kind of a way to put off things that you don't actually do it. Okay. Um, so, and, and so I would say try, it's like a spirit. It's like you can get hung up in trying and never do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way when people see, say, I need to do this, the word need actually work. The spirit of need only gets you more need. It doesn't really move you anywhere. So it's, it's words and they are important because they help kind of shape your journey you're going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that um, we, we as humans think in a dualistic manner because like I said, we, and we, we separate things because that's how we experience life. But the basis of everything of being of source, it's, it's even talking about that, it's like setting it outside ourselves. So again, it's another spirit because when we get down into true being, in consciousness there is no separation it's just one and so there is no experience of anything else because there isn't anything else one is one it's not one this and one that one is one it's whole complete that so you can't really function in life always in that state because you have to be able to experience things. me being able to talk to you is by seeing you as this person that I'm talking to mm-hmm. if we were one there wouldn't be a conversation going on because it's just one right so um, there's that, and there's the awareness of, of of that happening, and we realize that. And again, that's when I say not getting lost in the story. It's basically we realize that's getting this is happening, and that we realize that although I say their dualism doesn't exist, uh, we exist in a dualistic world, and that's how we function. But we realize that, and we just don't get you know lost in it. Yeah. And and. Um, Part of the shamanic journey, becoming a master shaman, is actually going through the death, the death, and being born again with the with your shamanic body. So it's it's that process of being reborn as a totally as a new being, and that's part of um, working with a master shaman. And I only mention that because there's uh, many people that, especially with ayahuasca, they will experience you know a few ceremonies, and then they have this just life-altering experience and they'll come and they'll start practicing like and it just doesn't happen that quickly apprenticeship into shamanism is takes many years and it's it's a very you know um it's rough and so when people go to people just make sure who you're working with and that, that they've had the actual training so that you know you don't get lost in the experience you're doing but yeah the the so it's all very interesting. It, it um, really is. Um, talking to people who've experienced uh, either, let's say, a near-death experience, which is a, a um, uh, I don't, don't want to say a psychoactive experience, but it is a, it is a, a entering another realm, or talking to yes. someone who's done ayahuasca or, or anything like that. As a person who hasn't experienced any of that, it it almost feels like. I'm a blind person who's never seen and trying to find out, you know, what a movie looks like or what a color looks like. Uh, it, it's, it, it feels almost impossible for me to understand without experiencing. And I almost, um, it, most people, well, how would, could you? exactly, could you? exactly. But it's, it's, it, I don't know. That's, that's just how it feels. And it's, it's frustrating in one sense, but in the same sense, I imagine it's probably frustrating for the, for the experiencer as well, because how do you how do you describe it to me? You know, you, you're using uh, a sense almost that that isn't available for people who haven't experienced that. 
Again, I would say that you don't have to use eth ethnogens or psychoactive substances to come to a point I mean, of understanding and knowing and experiencing. Mm -hmm. I prefer using them because it's, um, I enjoy it and I enjoy the medicine. I love the medicine and I love sharing it. And I, I like being able to bring people in to be able to go through that transformation in a very short period of time and that healing. But, I mean, Buddhists, the Dalai Lama is totally an aware being. You know, I don't know if he does use uh, sacred teacher medicine plants. I don't know. But there's a lot of Buddhists and mindfulness training that can bring you to this point of awareness also. So there's many avenues. It doesn't have to be through teacher medicine plants. That's just the avenue that I use. I think anytime we're talking about some sort of government-controlled substance, we have to talk about the legality of these things. So it, mm -hmm. it, it blows my mind that this seemingly safe plant that just grows out of the ground that seems to heal a lot of people, most importantly in today's day and age with the, the heroin and um, just opioid abuse in general, when something like this comes along that can actually pull people away from that addiction or um, the ones that I tried for him, uh, or that he sent me uh, from Urban Ice. Uh, I'll give him a plug because, you know, they sent me it um, sure. out, out in Vegas, I think. I only took uh, whatever the, the minimum dose was. And I, I didn't feel drunk. I didn't feel high. Uh, I almost felt like, I've, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, I guess. Uh, a sense of calm? Yeah, energetic and, yeah, a sense of calm. Almost like... Uh, <sighs> The only way I can say it is if, if you had a, a uh, I used to bicycle a lot. I loved to bicycle. And, um, I, and I would go far. I mean, we're talking hundreds of miles. And, well. uh, and this part of cycling, I used to love going out when it was cold and wet and rainy. Because when you're out there in those conditions, you feel like crap. But when you get home, there's a sort of glow that comes over you and I, I i don't know what it is it's just a personal experience that i have but you feel nice and relaxed and cozy mm -hmm. and when i took that that's that's how i felt i, I could drive yeah. i could do anything i wasn't impaired whatsoever and i'm thinking why the hell are they trying to outlaw this now well because the, the well the uh, pharmaceuticals can't make a ton of money off it yeah yeah that's that's i mean unfortunate but it, it may be the case well you know who drives who drives a lot of stuff that's you know it's it's the money again it's yeah. the money the dollar bill and when you read it was it was made illegal in Thailand or somewhere like that and then you say okay well, what were they looking at you know why did they make it illegal yeah. well it, it turns out and it probably wasn't Thailand i think it was i, I can't remember the the uh maybe Borneo, I don't know. But the, the country that outlawed it, the reason why they did it is because people stopped buying heroin. <laughs> and they wanted the people to buy the heroin because the, the uh, government had their, that, that was their hands in the pockets of the drug yeah. dealers. So it was yeah. like, oh, they made it out, they outlawed it, so you get, but, you know, get rid of it, burn all the, the plantations, now people have to buy the heroin, which is a lot more expensive, more addictive uh -huh. or whatever. So it's just, yeah, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. All, yeah, these, all these plants that adults tell each other they can't take is is really a, a fascinating thing uh it's, and the amount the amount of energy that's spent on enforcing it and the lives it's destroyed and um it's just it's uh, it's absurd yeah yeah it really is <laughs> you know that's that's all i can say 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I took over an hour of your time. Uh, very oh, informative. Oh, don't go yet. I wanted to read you some, one of my couple of my poems. Oh, okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, and, I, want to, and I want to mention I'll let my, my book. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You, you got to plug your book over on uh, Amazon. Well, it's not just, yeah, because the title is Journeys and Exploration of Being. And um, this is a book about an exploration of consciousness. It's a journey, one insight into what it means to be a fully aware being. And it's a movement through space and time of an individual. And I uh, share some of my uh, most intimate journeys and my spectrum of consciousness. And for all those who are willing to take that plunge, uh, as one reviewer said, this is all done through the elegance of poetry and of rhyme. And what's really cool about having this book, it's, it's given me the opportunity to share the medicine on a larger platform. And for this, I'm really grateful because I've gotten a lot of good feedback about how this has really, you know, made a difference and an impact in people's lives. So um, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's on Amazon. And the first poem in the book, and these were all written as in the book as how they came out of me in the order they came out. The first one is called Synthesis. I look and see... Nature in all her unbounded glory, harsh but divine, God manifest, a sign of what awaits me, mere mortal, of all the glories beyond that portal, a veil to rend, the spirit, his job, he will send, as I impatiently await for a mere glance through that gate. Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and folks can find basically all this. Uh, is is your main site over on Facebook? You have a, a, a blog site too, I believe, right? No, I don't have a blog. I just have my Facebook and then my author page on um, on Amazon. Okay. I, you know, it includes you know the the verified purchases of. There's been a couple of really good reviews, and I've also got a review by the uh, San Francisco Book Review and the Seattle Book Review. That oh, very really, good. So, nice. um, and. Uh, but um, I'm on Facebook. I don't know if, if you have the link. It's on my email there somewhere. Oh, yeah, I have the link, and I'll put it in the show notes uh, so people can yeah. check you out and maybe contact you. Yeah. Maybe they're interested in, in yeah. your program. And, and if you have, I think I sent you the link for the book, too, if you want to put that up. Sure, absolutely. Willing. Yeah, I'll tweet it out. Yeah. So there you have it. We live in a strange universe, and we have this thing called consciousness, and to fully grasp it can be overwhelming. Folks sometimes need help making sense of it all, and whether that's with friends or family or a psychologist, therapist, or even a shaman, whatever gets you to the best you, I don't see what's wrong with it. I had mentioned in the beginning that Ms. Corella was a author, so she wanted to leave us with some parting wisdom. There is one thing I would like to mention. I That was a third point on it about the healing of Mother Earth. Okay, sure. And just briefly to say that oh, calling it Mother Earth isn't a New Age thing. It's She's called Mother Earth for a reason. It's, it's what gave us all life. It what sustains us all. Um, I mean, we are made of her compounds and her molecules, her elements, 
we breathe her air, we eat her food, we drink her water. I mean, we only exist because of Mother Earth. And how are we treating her? I mean, is this how you would treat your mother? I mean, this, look at what, look at the, talk about disrespect, how we are doing this. And, and it's just the fact that to take the time to get out into nature and to truly connect. And it's one thing I say is really important with people when they're doing shaman, any kind of shamanic work or spiritual work, mindfulness work, is to always be grounded, grounded to Mother Earth, truly connected, because then you're stable, but still flexible. And then you, you center yourself so that your energy that you draw up from Mother Earth can pass through your energy centers and help cleanse you and clean you and it helps keep you straight. And then you center in heart, always centered in heart, because that's your place of balance, peace and harmony and total serenity. You know, if things get crazy, quiet the mind, drop it into your heart and always connect to Mother Earth and just for people to consider that in their everyday life. Yeah, and it's important. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so anyway, that's it's, that. And I really enjoyed talking with you, Oh, Kevin. absolutely. Yeah. I, this podcast wouldn't be what it was unless I had people, you know, come on here and share their experiences. And, and really what it comes down to is uh, it's been a, an experiment. I mean, this is, uh, I, I don't have them all published, but this is probably my probably my hundredth interview and every single time I talk to someone you know I might be tired I might be you know because I have a, a, a day job I have a family and everything and I mm-hmm. still sit down and I do the interviews and every single time I do one uh, I pull something uh, of value from it uh, and and you were very very intellectual um, very uh, well spoken and I, I appreciate the, the information that you shared well thank you thank you again Victoria um, again I can't tell you how, how thankful I am for you know anyone that takes their time out of their day to talk uh, uh, but hopefully the information will disseminate and will reach ears and, and maybe you'll get some some clients cool